0: Today's show is sponsored by Okta, the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's Identity Cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof, with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at okta.com. That's o k t a dot com. Cloudcast Media presents from the Massive Studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
1: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We are definitely in the middle of the dog days of summer, almost the end of July here, 2021, and it's definitely hot. Uh, People are taking some vacation, not a whole lot going on. I guess the Olympics are going on. Hopefully, uh, we'll see if... uh, those of you that follow Olympics, hopefully they're able to get through it. I know there's some uh, some COVID outbreak in uh, in Japan and all, and tough break for anybody who's been training their whole life to be an athlete and something like that happens. But uh, hopefully those go on. I know it's a big thing around the world. Lots of folks are following that. So uh, hopefully that continues to go well. Welcome back again to another Sunday Perspective show. Uh, I have a sort of an interesting topic for you today. One that. Um, I know I've run into several times uh, in working with different companies over the last few years, and I know it gets out in the news. and, and Probably some of you run into this as well. And that's the scenario sort of goes like this: uh, Your management, your CEO, comes out one day and they say, "We are no longer a you know insert XYZ uh, industry company. We're no longer uh, focused on being a, a you know an automotive manufacturer. We're no longer a shipping company. We're no longer a bank, we are a technology company, we are a software company, we are an innovation company, right? We've all sort of heard this, or last five or six years, It's probably come your way, maybe your company's going through this transition. And so I thought what I would do is kind of walk through some of the things I've seen, some of the experiences I've seen, over the last four or five years about what happens uh, when this sort of announcement gets made. What are the reactions of people inside the company? What are the reactions uh, from the marketplace, from your customers, your suppliers? And you know, within those first couple of years, what are some of the really important things to sort of think about and try and get right? And what are some of the areas that people get wrong? So we're going to dive into that right after the break. Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast. And CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, Cloud Zero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, Cloud Zero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product specific data views and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost cloud zero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform connecting the dots between high level trends and individual line items join companies like drift rabbit 7 and seatgeek by visiting cloudzero.com/cloudcast to get started today that's cloudzero.com/cloudcast and we're back and as i mentioned at the top of the show we're going to dive into a concept that I know a number of you have experienced from one side or the other, uh, whether you are uh, you know, in, the, in the technology industry side of things, whether you uh, work you know, on sort of the customer side of things, maybe you're in manufacturing, maybe you're in consulting, um, you're in some part of the business, but you know, the people that you work with or your company goes through, you make sort of a major announcement that you are no longer going to be you know, just a XYZ company, you are now going to be a innovation company. And I want to throw out a couple of examples that i 've heard of you know recently, or maybe you 've heard of the last few years that kind of highlight this. Um, you know There was a period of time when the airlines were very very fearful of uh, of people no longer taking trips, no longer especially business travelers because of video conferencing. you know I know I saw this even 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago, when I used to work on something called telepresence over at Cisco, it was this very lifelike video conferencing type of thing. And there were some interesting business models are coming along. The idea was, maybe you would just, you know, go to a, uh, a hotel, you'd go to a a FedEx store you'd go to whatever and you'd be able to rent a room for an hour and and have a telepresence conference with somebody. Now obviously we've seen, you know, uh you know, a huge shift in how people work over the pandemic this last year and we saw what impact that had to the airline industry and you know people are obviously thinking about, you know, <clears throat> how much will they keep traveling and How much of of an impact that'll have. But but that sort of thinking went on, right? You know, how will something that's very adjacent, feels adjacent to our market, disrupt our market, right? So it wasn't one airline thinking about another airline, it was a replacement type of technology. You know, we've seen streaming companies, right? We've seen Netflix here recently say that they are, you know, their biggest competitor, uh, per se, is gaming. And you might think about that, and you say, well, you know there's hulu and there's disney plus and there's espn and there's all those uh, things you know they think about it in terms of what things are taking up people's time that they're not going to be you know netflix and chilling and they determine that gaming is something that very much is is uh, a huge competitor and they're actually getting into the gaming space so you know they're no longer just a streaming movie company they're now a gaming company right mm-hmm. we've seen automotive companies i know growing up in detroit when i grew up in the in the 70s and 80s and in the 90s in detroit you know everything was about horsepower it was about how the car looks styling you know kind of those types of things in some cases it was you know gas mileage things that were very car centric engine centric uh, styling and body look centric now when you look at automotive companies it's all about entertainment It's about the fuel source. It's about, um, you know, how good is the car for the environment? And so adjacent things are adjusting it. So you're hearing, you know, automotive companies say, hey, look, we're no longer just an automotive company. We're an infotainment company. We are a, you know, an energy, uh, environmentally friendly company, those types of things. You know, we've seen farm equipment companies who say we're no longer just a farm equipment company. We are a farmer's data company, right? And so we're gonna we're gonna give farmers better data about, uh, you know, weather and crop soils and mo and patterns of how to plant and which crops are, you know, doing better in the marketplace and all those sort of things. And so we see companies you know, begin to say, hey, we're no longer just that thing you were, but technology has really shifted what's possible for us. Uh, we're going to try and, um, you know, take advantage of our leadership position in the marketplace or our brand recognition in the marketplace and really try and change what we do. And this sort of brings me to this thing that I kick around from time to time. I know uh, on a couple of these Sunday Perspective show, I've talked about Gracely's theorem. Uh, I'll give it call, sort of call it Gracely's theorem number one, which is you know, there really aren't that many radically new ideas, you know, 99%, 95% are really just people able to rethink things, because either CPUs have gotten faster or cheaper, or network bandwidth has gotten faster or cheaper, right? Well, I'll use throw out Gracely theorem number two, and I don't really have that many theorems. But I do have these two that I've talked about quite a bit over the last few years. And that is, you know, the simplest way to think about digital transformation is, if you draw a straight line between your company and and your customers via the internet, what happens, right? So think about that. Who and what get left out if you draw a direct line between you and your customers via the internet? What gets prioritized in terms of your product set, in terms of your interaction with the market, in terms of interaction with partners and, and competitors and so forth? Who is your competitor at that point? right? And I throw this out because if you really kind of boil it down to that, that's so much of what's happening in, you know, what we call digital transformation, right? Uh, In the ride-sharing industry, it was, you know, getting rid of the the taxi middleman and being able to go directly to people. It's the entire, you know, food delivery uh, industry. It's uh, retail shopping. It's all sorts of things. It's how we buy cars these days. It's how we uh, do all sorts of stuff. It's how we date. It's how we interact with people. Right? We've drawn direct lines between ourselves and the company we work with. And in many cases that's going to displace some things. It's going to change the things that you prioritize. You know, we prioritize from large screen laptops to smaller screen mobile devices. We prioritize on do we pay for things, or are these things subsidized through ads? All sorts of stuff like that really start to come into play. So, you know, as these things are happening in your business and you're thinking about them, I sort of laid out a few things, and I know you know if you've listened to any of these Sunny Perspective shows, um, we don't get into you know super super specifics about some of these topics. So we try and lay out some frameworks and some examples of how to think about. Uh, the change that's going to happen, um, where things have been successful that we've seen in the past, where things have failed so that you can maybe avoid some of those failures. And so I put down five things that I've seen that are really kind of commonplace. In some cases, they work out really well for the companies that are successful. In some cases, they work out really poorly for the companies that uh, aren't successful or try this over and over again. So the first thing that I always look at when I hear these uh, announcements from CEOs and executives and so forth is, what's the timeline that's been communicated to the market, to your partners, uh, to the stakeholders of your company, to your customers, and to your internal teams? And the reason I start with that is, in some cases, uh, the communication and the timeline is put together Because um, your business is in some sort of crisis. Your industry is in some sort of massive change. And so the timeline might be Really short. It might be really immediate. So, you might be dropping all of the priorities that you had yesterday, and you're going to start working on all of these new priorities. So, you know, maybe this was inflicted by COVID. Maybe this is inflicted by some competitor in your industry coming up with some breakthrough technology. Maybe somebody has just completely changed the economics of your industry, right? So, maybe you were. Uh, you know, you were in the movie theater business and all of a sudden the streaming company said, hey, you know, or the, the theater company said, or the movie making company said, we're going to put things out on streaming uh, the very first day that a movie comes out, right? Whereas movie theaters and AMC or somebody used to have exclusiveness for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it might be. Well, that happened overnight, right? We saw Disney Plus say, hey, we're going to put Wonder Woman 1984 out on streaming the exact same day it goes out in the theater. Okay, well, your world has changed literally overnight. Now, you might have been planning for this because you knew it was coming in industry, but you kind of don't want to know what that is. Now, the other side of this is we'll see companies say, well, uh, we want to become an innovation company. We've signed a large contract, maybe with one of the cloud providers or with a an outsourcing provider, and we're going to do something at hundreds of tens or hundreds of millions of dollars over four years, five years, six years, seven years, whatever that might be. Well, when you communicate things out in longer term uh, things, uh, you know, ranges and so forth, a couple of things happen, right? On On one end, if the number you communicate is fairly large, right, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars, you are signaling to the marketplace this is probably pretty important to you, and they should pay attention to it. they should value you accordingly. Your partners and suppliers should should take this uh, into consideration. but the longer you make that timeline, the more you allow people to sort of go, well we'll get around to it when we f- when it works out for us right it's sort of like when you were in school and your teacher, your professor said, uh, "You have this paper due, and it's not due tomorrow or the next week it's due." at the end of the semester. Well, we know how a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us treated that. It meant, well, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, and then you get to the last few days, few weeks, or whatever of a quarter, and then you crammed it all in. Well, that uh, that's often what happens. When you set timelines that are more than people think about how long they'll be at your company, or how long they you know, are concerned about a specific job, so beyond two years, let's say, three years maybe, when you start talking about four, five, six, seven years, people are sort of tuning that out. So you have to be careful to understand, is this something that's really important to them? Did they set a a short timeline? Or is this something that, while we all know it'll be a big change, they've set and prioritized uh, highlighting that long time horizon. And that often means, well, we don't really know how we're gonna get there. We know there's some problems, but we really aren't sure how we're gonna get there. Okay, so that's the first thing to take a look at. The next thing is, what's the initial focus area, right? I always say when I run into companies who you know, uh, I, I get a chance to talk to and we, we're working through technology changes or choices they're making for the future, You know, do you have a specific business problem you've already identified that you wanna solve, right? And what I mean by that is you are committed to solving this, so we assume that you're going to find the right technology, you're going to have the right people to be able to do it, but you've already identified a business problem that you wanna solve, You know the results of solving that problem. You've identified the ROI of it, all those sort of things. And it's really important to you. So that's the next thing you're really looking for is what's the initial focus? Because anytime you take on anything this big, you've got to rally people around something to focus on. And that focus might be a competitor. Right, people love to have a direct competitor because it makes it much easier to focus on. Okay, that's the thing we're going up against. That's the thing we can compare ourselves against. That's the thing that sets the metric for, you know, the competition that we're going after. Right? Maybe it's the number of customers they have. Maybe it's the price point of their product. Maybe it's the experience of how they deliver it. Maybe it's something else. Right. So that's oftentimes the thing is you've identified a business problem and you've identified a competitor. But if you haven't identified that, that again falls into this idea of, well, we're just changing. And when you just have open-ended change like that, the first thing that everybody does is they go, what's in it for me? What does that mean for me? What does this change imply for me? And that can oftentimes get people wandering. It creates some vacuums in in your scenario in terms of Are they still gonna want me around? Is the skills that I have still appropriate for why I was hired on or for the next year or two looks like? So it's really important to communicate that initial focus. Even if the scope of what you're trying to do is huge, you wanna be able to communicate the importance of that initial focus, the business value of that initial focus. Um, You wanna rally people so that they recognize what their importance is to that job. Um, their importance of what their specific job is to that bigger task and so forth, so that's a really important thing to look at. do they have that initial focus nailed now the next thing is um, and this is a question that'll come up both internally and externally is how do you plan to measure success or failure right like how are you going to measure because if you're talking about something large right maybe you want to get into a new market you want to move into new regions of the world, you want to expand your product line, you want to change your brand focus, whatever that big thing is, that thing that's going to get the boss to say, we're no longer a car company, we are a transportation experience company, whatever. Um, How do you plan to measure that success? Because whether you specifically lay out how that success will be measured or not, the market will have some level of measuring, right? The first thing they'll typically do is they're gonna measure you against your competition, right? Or whoever you identify as you think you're their competition, right? So in some cases, you wanna identify a competitor, maybe you don't wanna talk about them in public, but the market will identify you against that competitor. And the other thing is, if you're trying to move into a market that exists, they're gonna measure you against that market, that market leader, that market experience. If you're creating something brand new, Um, you oftentimes have to define what that looks like. And so you have to be kind of prepared for how you're going to measure success, how you're going to communicate success, um, and the frequency at which you're going to do that. And you want to sort of lay that out up front so that people can set their own goals against it, so that people can kind of do their own internal measuring, right? Maybe you're going to measure something and put it out every three months, but they want to know how they're doing along the way, right? It's sort of like watching a a sporting match. There's a reason they put the clock up there so that you know what's going on. Oh, if there's you know, 60 minutes left in the game, maybe you're not as stressed out, but you get down to three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, start to stress out a little bit, right? And so it's really important to, uh, explain how you're going to measure success, how you're going to communicate success, and then, you know, allow people to build their own individual or group level things that will help build towards that success. Um, the fourth thing I, fourth thing I have on my list, and this is sort of goes along with, if you have ever been a, a new leader in a group, um, you know, if you're, even if you're a new employee to a group, you typically want to set what we call like 30, 60, 90, you know, 120 day goals, right? And, you know, we see this oftentimes when a new leader comes in, a president comes in, they have hundred day goals, things like that. Um, And the reason you want to do that is because most companies uh, measure themselves on a quarterly basis, right? Whether they're a public company or a private company. And so you want to be able to identify what are the things that you think you can win that you can succeed at in three months, in six months, in nine months, in 12 months, right? And the reason I highlight that is it's really important to gain momentum. You wanna gain momentum, you wanna show people that you really have a grasp of what the problem is, even if the problem is incredibly hard, You wanna have a grasp of what the problem is and you wanna be able to show them progress, right? And when I say wins, wins don't have to be the final thing. Sometimes they just have to be steps in the process. Sometimes they just have to be that you identified the scope of the problem and you got to the first step of the problem, but you've identified that, you've measured that you've succeeded. And what that does is it lets people know that you understand the problem, that you've shown progress, that you're rallying groups uh, behind that, but also what happens is it helps avoid you know, the other groups. There's always going to be other groups within your organization who, I don't want to say don't want you to succeed, but look at what this new thing is, is as competitive with what they do, as an alternative focus to what they do. And so they're always gauging for, huh, did they not reach their goal? Why did they not reach their goal? And in some cases if you're not playing your cards right, you're not doing your politics right, um, you're not progressing your technology right, those folks can start you know trying to reprioritize things within the organization. And so it's really important that you identify the things that you think you can win and that win might be hiring the right people. It might be, getting that first meeting and that first communication out the door really, really well, and people are focused. And maybe if you didn't get it right that first time, you double down on it, you make sure that people are focused. You know, you have you select uh, a really good criteria for how you're going to pick the technology you're going to use, or the vendor you're going to work with, or the mod, the plan that you're going to have for the technology, right? Um, all those things can be wins, right? They don't necessarily have to be the end goal. But they can all be wins, they can show people. And I don't, and I want to highlight this, and I don't want it to be underestimated or understated. Your ability to communicate wins is as important as your ability to identify what the win is or even executing it. Because you want to convey to people, this is what we did. right? You want to convey we've succeeded. You want to be able to show that to them. You want to be able to show them that you've got a plan for the next step, for that next win. And in many cases, you want to use that first win or that second win as a way to recruit more groups internally, your partners, your stakeholders, to get on board. Because people want to be part of winners, they want to be part of success, they want to be part of momentum, they want to know that they're aligned to the things that are going to be the future of the company. And so it's really important, both internally and externally, to be communicating those wins, right? And thinking about how you're going to communicate them so they come across the way that's going to help you continue to make progress. Because oftentimes, these are really big problems. They take multiple years, they take multiple tens of millions of dollars, um, and you, but you want to be able to make progress along the way. And the last thing I have on here, and this is something I've seen over and over again as I've worked with different companies who are going through digital transformations, is it's really easy to um, to get caught up in this idea of, you know, we're the smartest people in the room. We know our business really well. Um, we know how to, you know, we're gonna go through these changes. We wanna be able to reap the rewards. We wanna be able to reap the success of it. And there's this is this is probably the most important time when you have to really look at yourself and say how willing are you to ask for help to accept help or to pay somebody to help accelerate you right and the reason i highlight this and i don't mean to come across on this is oh this is somebody who works at a vendor and they're always trying to sell stuff i find more than all, more more than more times than not um, that, those first steps are really hard and if you work with somebody whether you're asking for help and and they're willing to help you for free or they're willing to help do it for a fee, um, if they're able to help you accelerate your learning curve, avoid the mistakes that other people have done. And this is, you know, oftentimes you can't maybe do this if you're the earliest of early bleeding edges, but if you get a little further in the maturity curve, um, this is gonna help save you a lot of falling down. It's gonna help save you, uh, you know, a lot of missed, results quarterly results 30-day results 60-day results but willing to say i want to reach out to people who have done this before i want them to help me be successful and make them a partner right create a scenario in which it's a win-win for both of you to help succeed but ultimately you're looking for somebody and some people to help you whether they're as a mentor or as augmented staff or as something you can consult or something you can buy whatever it might be that'll help you accelerate your learning curve. Because at some point, you're gonna have to take this on and own the whole thing. Hopefully you're gonna be successful. But failing to do that, failing to be willing to realize that you probably are gonna need help if you're taking on a big change and trying to do it all yourself with the same people, the same technology, the same skill set, the same lack of knowing what you don't know can oftentimes be the difference between somebody coming back to you a year later and going, how's it going? And you're like, eh, we're still really struggling with X, Y, and Z, and you going, yeah, those first six months were hard, but we really figured it out. We're really, we're really ramping up here in the next six months, right? So those five things I think are really, really important whenever you have these big changes. Um, a lot of them are in the upfront, but again we've all been part of projects that have gone well um, and you look back and you go oh yeah certain things happened and then we've all been part of projects that have have gone poorly and you look back and you go yep they didn't do this that or the other and it would have been really important or better if they would have done it that way so um, hopefully these five or six things are helpful to you and um, I, I, you know for myself having sort of lived around this industry for a long time, but especially sort of in the the big change stuff over the last six, seven years. Um, those are just some things I see over and over again, and hopefully they will help you um, as you go through your transition, whether you're uh, you know, part of helping somebody, whether you own this or whether you're sort of, you know, secondary or downstream from from a, a partner, a vendor, an adjacent company that's going through these changes. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the Sunday Perspective show as well as the Wednesdays, Wednesdays one. Thanks again for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the show. Thanks for giving us feedback in all the places that you uh, listen to your podcast. And with that, we're going to wrap up. We will talk to you next week.